0: Okay, we have been looking at Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, over the past couple of weeks, and this week I am planning to finish up what I have to say about that, and rather than opening to Hebrews chapter 6, we left off back in Numbers chapter 14, which I think relates in some ways to Hebrews chapter 6. In Hebrews chapter 3, it talked about the incident that happened at Kadesh when the spies had gone into the land and come out. So I'm going to start reading in Numbers chapter 13, verse 25. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. So they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We're not able to go up against these people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw there in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, who came from the giants. Um, And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so were we in their sight. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron, And the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in the wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? They're actually accusing God of putting them in a bad spot. God doesn't love us. He brought us here to kill us. Drop down to verse 11. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a greater and mightier, a nation greater and mightier than they. And Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear it. For by your might you brought these people up from among them. And they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, Lord, are among these people, that you, Lord, are seen face to face, and that your cloud stands above them. And you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill these people as one man, then the nations which have heard of your fame will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able to, to bring this people into the land, which he swore to them, to give them. Therefore, he killed them in the wilderness. Now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken, saying, the Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, giving, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations. Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray." According to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people, even from Egypt until now. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned, according to your word. But truly, as I live, an oath, as I live, as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because, these, because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness... And have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice. They certainly shall not see the land which I swore to their fathers. Nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring him, uh, I will bring into the land where he went. And his descendants shall inherit it. Now, the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley. Tomorrow, turn and move out into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. So it's their refusal to move in at God's word that what what they had been looking forward to, what they had been promised all this time, at this point, they refused to go in and take it. And they accused God of trying to kill them. God did pardon them, but there were still those pesky consequences for what they had done. Look at verse 37. Those very men who brought the evil report about the land died by the plague before the Lord. This happens immediately. God God gives some instructions there and the men Moses sent to spy out the land who returned and made all the congregation murmur against him by bringing a bad report of them. Those very men who brought the evil report about the land died by the plague Before the Lord. The others, if you look a little further down, verse 39, then Moses told these words to all the children of Israel, and the people mourned greatly. And they rose early in the morning and went up to the top of the mountain, saying, Here we are, and we will go up to the place which God, which the Lord has promised. For we have sinned. What are they doing here? Alright, we just heard what the consequences are for for the rebellion that we have just fomented and now that we know what the consequences are we want to repent. Uh, We send, we're, we're ready, we're going in, we're going in now. And Moses said now why do you transgress against the command of the Lord? For this will not succeed. What command of the Lord? The one in verse 25. Tomorrow Turn and move out into the wilderness. God has just decreed, none of you who were 20 years old and upward when when you came out of Egypt, none of you will get into the promised land. You're not going. You You turned your backs on me and said that I couldn't bring you in. You're not going. Turn around, head the other direction. The next morning... They say, "Well, all right. We changed our minds again. We want to go in." So they tried. Moses told them, "Don't do it." Even now, they would not obey what God told them to do. <laughs> Moses says, "Do not go up, lest you be defeated by your enemies. For the Lord is not among you; I'm not with you. The Lord will not be with you." But they presumed to go up to the mountain top. Nevertheless neither the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed from the camp. They stayed right there in the middle of the camp and did not go up with the people. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who dwelt in that mountain came down and attacked them and drove them back as far as Hormah. So they have a resounding defeat. They had already missed their shot at getting into the Promised Land. Now, there are a lot of shadows and types and things in the Old Testament pointing to to spiritual things in the New Testament don't answer out loud but just think for yourself for a minute what does the promised land represent? if you're thinking that the promised land represents heaven let me ask you this when we get to heaven will there be enemies there that we need to fight against and cast out in order to take over heaven? No. At least if that is the case, I can't find it anywhere in the Bible. By the way, Moses didn't get in either. He didn't go in during his lifetime into the promised land. If, if you're thinking that the promised land represents heaven, then the fact that they didn't get in would look like, okay, all of that generation must have died and gone to hell they didn't get into the they didn't get into the the heavenly place like i said moses didn't get in during his lifetime did moses ever get into the promised land where at the mount of transfiguration in the promised land standing on the mount of transfiguration with jesus elijah moses made it in a lot later but he was there the passover and the exodus are a picture of salvation. They were saved out of Egypt. They came out. You can think of that as the birth of the nation of Israel. The promised land is more a representation of victorious living, victorious Christian living, perhaps. There are battles that need to be fought. There are enemies to be overcome. But they went in and God gave them victory And they were able to take land and they were able to live there and to have the fruit of the land. There will be no battles in heaven that I'm aware of. Now, if, if the Passover and the Exodus are salvation and the promised land is victorious Christian living, what's the wilderness? The wilderness is in between. They're wandering in the wilderness. God speaks in other places about taking them by the hand, leading them out of Egypt. And I think of that when when you're walking somebody by the hand. It's childhood, babyhood, the birth of the nation was when they came out of Egypt. And then they travel with God, leading them by the hand. And now they get to a place where they're supposed to be Growing up a little bit. And when they're supposed to be growing up a little bit. And moving in to a different kind of relationship with God. They chicken out and say no, 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 no. God can't handle this one. I think the Hebrews to whom the book of Hebrews was written were saved individuals. But they were still tied to the Old Testament rituals and the ordinances of the law. Just like their forefathers had been saved out of Egypt and were supposed to go into the promised land, but they wanted to go back to Egypt instead. Despite everything they had seen God do, they did not trust him. And they weren't willing to fight the giants in the land. Now we can go back to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, maturity, adulthood, Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. And again, I I am taking these as things that pertain to the Jewish system. The doctrine of washings and laying on of hands and resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. The writer to Hebrews is telling the people, guys, it's time to move forward it's time to move on to spiritual maturity for it's impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the holy spirit and have tasted the good word of god and the powers of the age to come think of these things as the things that they had seen god do for them already if they fall away to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the son of god and put him to an open shame The children of Israel, when they're sitting there at the border and they're ready to go in and they chicken out, Moses had already said, God, the nations around are watching to see what's going to happen. When they rejected the opportunity to go in, they are saying to all the nations around, our God isn't big enough for what is ahead. We would be better off back in Egypt than we would be just trusting you in the promised land. You can't handle the giants there. The Christians here in the book of Hebrews are facing the same kind of thing. Are they going to go on ahead and separate from the Jewish system and rely fully on the Lord Jesus or not? That's how I'm viewing it. If they turn around and go back to the the rituals, the ordinances of the law, they're basically saying, Jesus, we don't think you're enough. If they're not actually saying that to themselves, it's what it says to the world around. It's what it says to the people who are still stuck, in, who who have not come out and said, we will follow Jesus. Just like their fathers disgraced and belittled the Lord who brought them out of Egypt in front of the watching nations, again, The watching nations were quaking in their boots. If we refuse to glorify the Lord in front of the world by trusting his word and acting on it, there will be consequences. These guys faced consequences. You have missed opportunities. You have a lot of wasted time, a lot of wasted years like the Israelites had in the wilderness. Never trusting, always complaining, and basically just waiting around to die. I think that there are some crossroads in a believer's life that involve consequences, and those consequences cannot be avoided once we have made the decision to take the path that goes against the will of God. If we know the will of God, and God says clearly, take this step, and we say, no, I'm not going to do that because that's, I don't trust you with that. There are some crossroads where the consequences are consequences that you can't avoid. Those may involve consequences here on earth. They may involve, they will involve consequences at the judgment seat of Christ. Look at Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 5. Somebody made a decision where there were some consequences. You're probably familiar with Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira had... Some land. They they had seen somebody else sell his land and give it to the church, give the money to the church for feeding people who needed it. And they thought, man, everybody looks up to him for that. So they said, you know, we got some land, we could sell the land, and but they didn't really want to give up all the money, so they came and said, Here is the money that we got for selling our land. And they didn't actually bring all of the money. Now, Peter makes it clear that the land belonged to them. Nobody was telling them they had to give it up. He was um, he told them, after you sold it, the money still belonged to you. The issue was not the fact that they didn't bring all the money. He says, the money was yours to do with as you wanted. Give part, keep part, whatever you wanted to do with it, but what you can't do is lie to the Holy Spirit. Consequences were immediate when Ananias brought the money and said, this is what we got. Peter says, why are you lying to the Holy Spirit? And Ananias keeled over dead. And when his wife came in a little while later, he asked her, so how much did you sell the land for? And she says, For this much, same thing that Ananias had brought. She killed over dead. We don't see a lot of that happening these days. But there are other things that happen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when it's talking about um, the Lord's table, we have instructions about what, what to do and how to come to the Lord's table. And it says that many of you are weak and sickly and some sleep. Some have died because of doing things incorrectly. 1 John 5. I'm going to start in verse 14. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask. And he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. So there are some sins that lead to death. And he tells them, you don't need to pray about that. Once that has occurred, you don't get to turn around and go back. Verses 7 and 8. In Hebrews chapter 6, For the earth which drinks in the rain that comes often on it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. Now, how you interpret this parable probably depends on how you've interpreted verses 4 through 6. Although there are some people who interpret verses 4 through 6 by okay, I'm going to look at the parable first and then figure out what the the verses ahead of uh, ahead of it mean. I at least currently I am open to moving, but I currently believe that verses seven and eight present an illustration of a born again believer as the land, the earth which drinks in the rain. And what that believer does with the blessings that God has supplied to him now, if you don't believe that the that that all of the people in verses four to six are believers, then you might also say, "Well, in Matthew chapter five, it says that God sends the rain on the just and the unjust, so either one of those can be made to fit, but what I'm seeing here. The fruitful Christian receives certain blessings in this life. You'll find that sort of thing in John chapter 15, 7 through 11. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. So these are some blessings that can be had. One, you can glorify God. Two, you'll be living in the Father's love, and in Christ's love. You'll also have joy. So the fruitful Christian... Receive certain blessings in this life and also rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, somewhere you're also probably familiar with. This uses a, a different illustration than the illustration of the land. Starting in verse 9, For we are God's work, fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it, for other foundation can, no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will be mani- become manifest, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If any man's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet. The illustration there in Hebrews chapter 6 talks about the earth which drinks in the rain, the blessings that God has given. I think the blessings that are given there in, in uh, 4 and 5, verses 4 and 5. The earth which drinks in the rain that often comes on it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessing from God. And we talked about those blessings. But if it bears thorns and briars, which, by the way, are a couple of things that were part of the original curse when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. If it receives thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. Rejected, that word is adokimos, means unapproved believer, when it talks about being unapproved in this case, because it's something that Paul feared for himself. Paul said, I don't want to be someone who preaches to others and then is unapproved. Second thing, one, unapproved, rejected. Two, near cursing. Second Peter 2.14. This is talking about unbelievers having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. There is a longer description if you start before verse 14. But it's talking about unbelievers and they are accursed At this point, I have lost my place here. Revelation 18. Revelation 18, verses 4 and 5. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. This is a voice from heaven. Come out of her, my people. Lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. Talking about... Babylon, you can get close, too close to the sin and receive some judgment, but not the loss of salvation. They are still my people. Number three talks about being burned in the end. The fire is at the judgment seat of Christ, not in hell. We already looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and if you remember in verse 13, says his work is burned and he shall suffer loss but he himself shall be saved yet so as by fire so dirt doesn't burn the land isn't burned the earth isn't burned but what's on it the thorns and briars are burned so i think that the interpretation of hebrews chapter 6 verses 1 to 8 is that the writer is addressing Hebrew Jewish believers who were still clinging to the Jewish system of worship and that he was warning and encouraging them to lay those things aside since those things had already accomplished their purpose. They had served their purpose. Their purpose was to point forward to Jesus. Now that they have pointed you forward to Jesus and Jesus has come, the Messiah is here, Those things are not needed anymore. Leave them behind. He's warning them not to make the same mistake that their fathers did, miss out on the blessings associated with making spiritual progress. They say that there is always one correct interpretation, but many, many applications. I will not guarantee that the interpretation that I have arrived at is 100% certain. You may be able to show me why it's not, I may have to change. But at this point, this is how I am interpreting. We are not first century Jews. We are not wavering about whether or not to leave behind Judaism and temple sacrifices. So what does this passage have for us? What does God want us to know and learn from the example that he's shown us here? Let's go back just for a moment in Hebrews chapter 1. Verses 1 and 2. God, who at various times and in different ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Number one. God has spoken to us. Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore... We must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. All right. Up to this point, it's been talking a lot about what has God said to us and what should we do with what we hear. A little sneak preview. I'm going to read a verse from chapter 12. This is a theme that carries through the book. Chapter 25, I mean verse 25. Hebrews 12:25. See that you do not refuse him who speaks, for if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven? My interpretation is we're supposed to be listening to what God says and we're supposed to keep moving forward. Trusting him. When we don't trust him to deal with the giants in our lives, the spiritual giants, the sins in our lives, the persecution that may come into our lives, when we don't trust God with those things, We are saying, God, you're not strong enough. And we are being a poor testimony to the people around us. Applications of this passage. As far as this idea of hearing what God says, if you're here this morning and you are an unbeliever, you've never put your trust in Jesus as Savior, today, as it says several times there, today if you will hear his voice, Today is the only day that you know you have. Believe what God says and act on it today. Tomorrow may be too late. And if it is, there is no going back. For those who perhaps have been kind of pretending at believing or those who aren't sure of your salvation, I think I'm saved, but I'm not really positive. Again, today is the day to make sure that you understand and that you're not relying on some religious experience or some ritual, some, okay, I go to church. Is that enough? I don't know. You know, I hope I'm I'm trying to do good. Today is the day to make sure that you fully understand the message of the gospel and that you're not trusting any religious system. You're not trusting your baptism or trusting something else, but only the Lord Jesus as your only means of salvation. And if you don't understand, please, please, please talk to one of us and get some understanding about what Christ has done for you and what you can have. For those who have been saved for a long time, and you know you're saved, but not really growing towards Christian maturity, today is the day to confess that and say, Lord, I want to start doing what I ought to be. I want to start growing. I want to start listening to your word and acting on it, studying his word and doing what he tells you. For those who are believers and have missed out on some opportunities, have messed up somewhere and are living with consequences happened in the past, I got some good news for you. When we get to chapter 12, we're going to see that those consequences are God's discipline. And God's discipline is reserved For his children. You don't spank the neighbor's kids. If you're living with some kind of thing. Because you did something in the past. That has altered the course of your life. And that can't be changed. God's discipline. But it's reserved for his children. It doesn't mean that you've lost your salvation. It means he's still working. To make you more like his son. And I would say thank him today. Thank him for that work in your life to make you more like his son. Draw closer and know your heavenly father's great love. He hasn't ceased to love you. He hasn't forgotten you, but he is trying to get your attention. If he has not yet called you home, like Ananias and Sapphira got called home, like some of the believers in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 got called home, like some of the people in 1 John got called home to face to face the Father, if he hasn't called you home yet, I believe he's still got work for you to do, even if that work is primarily to say to other people, don't make the same mistakes I did. And I can imagine that not everybody who died in the wilderness died in in any of the plagues. I would guess that there were probably some in that group who were actually saying to their kids, I'm not going to get in. I understand that I I have forfeited something. Don't make the same mistake I made. When you guys get back to the promised land, to the border of the promised land, make sure you go in. Trust God. Trust God. I think God has something for you to do. If you're a believer, God has something for you to do for His glory. And I think that will still receive a reward. You may have missed out on some reward, but There are still others. Note well, even after they lost an opportunity at Kadesh, while they wandered around for 38 more years, God still fed them manna. The sandals on their feet still, for 38 years, never wore out. He still supplied them water all along the way. He met their needs. He did not cease to meet their needs. They were still His. They didn't lose it. Did not lose their salvation. There are undoubtedly other applications that we can make. If you think of other applications that I've missed, I would love to hear about them. Father, we come to you. We thank you for your great love. Thank you that you have taken care of us, that you have given us your blessings. that you have spoken to us, that you have shown us the way of salvation. If you're your son, we ask that you would help us to be more obedient to the things that you've taught us and that we would be willing to trust you and dare to do the things that you ask and that we would have before the world around us. In the name of Jesus, for his sake,